and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legends. Legends fade to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the wheel of time, but there was a beginning. I'm Ian Woodworth, and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today, we have some very special guests. We have Rob, Chris, and Daniel from the World Build With Us podcast. Last week, we went on to their podcast, and we created a world. It was a whole lot of fun. We're going to put a link to that episode in the show notes. So we encourage you to go listen to that first so that you know what we're talking about. Yeah, you're going to be completely lost. Yeah, (laughs) you really are. And today, we're going to be creating a scenario in that world that you can pick up and run a game in, hopefully. So Rob, Chris, and Daniel, welcome to Undercommon Taste. Thanks for having us on. And my God, I didn't know you had such an elaborate intro. That was amazing. Yeah, that was great. So let's go ahead and take a couple minutes real quick at the beginning and uh, tell us a little bit about World Build with us. You know, where did you guys start? How do you guys come up with what you come up with? And what exactly do you guys come up with? for our listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with your work. Sure. So uh, my name is Rob. I'm one of the co-hosts of World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from our listeners. And uh, we started out just wanting to do a tabletop role-playing game podcast, or at least something that was kind of adjacent, and uh, came up with this idea of just kind of spontaneously creating Uh, fantasy worlds. And that has since spiraled into touching on every genre. And essentially every week or every two weeks, we have a prompt that is sent in by our listeners. And then we create a setting based on the prompt that we're given. We've done everything from uh, Mecca to uh, a Redwall inspired food magic system We have done a fairly standard fantasy world. We've done cyberpunk, hope punk. I mean, pretty much. And I think our most recent one as of this recording was a series of post-apocalyptic battle trains, which is just as fucking cool as it sounds. And it it was. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite good. That sounds actually really fun. So yeah, that's, that's essentially what we do. And we are always looking for new prompts and whatnot to keep us going. All right. So a little bit of a refresher on what we actually came up with last week. So ultimately, let me, let me start at the beginning. Our prompt was an item which creates a safe haven in an otherwise inhospitable world. And after an hour of talking back and forth, we came up with what is basically a giant kaiju mech that is terraforming this jungle planet. And there are people who live in the path of this terraforming kaiju mech. And there are natives to the world who don't want that mech there. And so our twist at the end of everything was it's all happened before. And so that is the prompt that we are going to be going off of today, going into figuring out what our scenario is. Now, going back off of this and reconsidering what we came up with. And like I said, we have this mech that's borderline divine to these people. It's working a circuit of some sort. Any of you guys play Breath of the Wild? Yeah, of course. Because this is starting to develop a real Breath of the Wild field. Because, I mean, they literally have the, quote, divine beasts, which are Mm. these huge kaiju mech things. And they are reliving a past history. So I think it's kind of neat that this naturally kind of started developing this feel, which is, like I said, it's really neat because as far as Breath of the Wild goes, it's actually a really amazing, solid game. So, yeah, I don't know. I was kind of thinking that there were some similarities as, as I was kind of considering everything. I would agree on a base level. There's certainly a lot of elements that we're sharing. In my mind, I imagine that the setting that we've created is uh, a little bit more hostile to the really beautiful apple-filled <laughs> world of Breath of the Wild, though. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, it's well. That's the end goal. It hasn't. It hasn't finished terraforming yet. I imagine that it's it, the world that we're that we've created is like all of the Leonid fights all back to back. That's basically the level of grit and uh, 
I like it. Hardness to this world compared to Breath of the Wild. It makes me think of the first, uh, the only Zelda I played, which was very hostile outside, unlike the new the new ones, which are all friendly and clean looking. And cl- see, this is how you know Daniel hasn't played Legend of Zelda games since the second <laughs> one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I remember the second one. The second one was brutal. It was just horrible. Oh Everything was yeah. out there to kill you. Well, we have also established that Daniel is an 80-year-old man, so... Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. this is true. It's very true. <laughs> it's true. He, Daniel has recently come out as an ancient mummy. Yep. So we, you know, we... Congrats. Just, I thought it was an appropriate time, you know. Uh, totally understandable. To speak my truth. Yeah. Yeah. So for the prompt, by the way, I, I would like to try and reel us back just a little bit because, oh God, we will go. I was thinking for a scenario, I, I, I'm having a little bit of uh, a trouble with the twist, but I was hoping that y'all could help me out with that. I was thinking that we could do something like um, a Sanjuro slash man with no name trilogy type thing where we have a town that is in the, like it's basically at a standstill between two factions. Uh, This would be like the outsiders, which are all, you know, like followers of the kudzu. And then you have the followers of the divine Kaiju, the one that is trying to terraform the place. And then we can kind of figure out the scenario from there. It's the kudzu and God's lawnmower. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That works out. I was kind of thinking of some ideas of why maybe all of this has happened again, too. And I I was able to kind of brainstorm a couple of ideas that would maybe tie some other aspects of what we came across with your podcast as well. Like the fact that maybe this isn't exactly a failed experiment like we initially stated. Maybe it's graduating. So maybe it runs so many cycles and then it basically shuts down and monitors the condition of the planet. And they think at that point it dies Mm. and then it resurrects, which would add to the whole divinity aspect. And each time it resurrects, maybe it kicks up everything an extra level or two to be stronger so it can terraform more area because maybe whoever dropped this thing knew that there was a sentient or near sentient species, kind of like a uh, monolith type thing it didn't want to wipe out but just to terraform the planet i actually had a similar idea of where it would terraform the planet into a certain climate or everything like say a lush jungle and then it would restart and do the exact opposite of like a harsh desert or a tundra and then the people who had grown used to that would then have to adapt their entire way of life into the exact opposite of what they're used to oh i love that like a forced social evolution type thing Yeah, and this way, the people who are against it are naturally the people who really, who who, like stuck to the old ways and liked the way that their world was set up. I could see that. So the idea that I was having, (laughs) which isn't really playing too heavily into what you guys have got, but it, it could, is that this isn't the only kaiju mech on this planet. And it's just where the planet itself is so inhospitable that the people who follow this kaiju mech think it's the only kaiju mech. Okay. And everybody is very localized. And so it's all happened before means that the natives have figured out that there's multiple kaiju mechs here and they are focus firing one at a time to knock them out. So maybe there's like multiple kaiju mechs to create different biomes on the planet. And that would kind of tie in with, I think it was a Chris that was talking about, you know, having the different biomes or different things. Mm. Those two would tie in really well together. Yeah, we could, that could work. I I actually really love the idea of like, essentially Leviathan hunters, like the outsiders are essentially like whale or they're, they're whale hunters, right? They're going whaling for these giant divine beasts. Are we going to play the Wellermen now? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm naturally a tenor, so I don't know if you guys can. Would, are you guys a bass or what? No, I'm I'm a tenor too. So uh, probably a baritone. Yeah. All right. All right. We good. we don't we don't have <laughs> enough we don't have enough bottom register to do a Wellerman here. Yeah. And and we'll we'll lose our 15 listeners if we. <laughs> you say Uh, that but you've never heard us sing so you know no but i've heard me sing ah gotcha (laughs) so i like that we've kind of rounded out this idea now what e and i would normally try to do we would try to build either like a city or even start to draw out like a campaign or a scenario Mm -hmm. where we could actually get this to work And for me personally, the way I'm seeing this, I'm seeing one of two options. There could either be 
like I said, a centralized town, like we talked about on your episode, maybe towards the center of everything that is like a hub of culture. Or I think it would really be really neat also to have a nomadic village that follows or tries to preempt, like I said, in front of this. But it could even still be that they set up this nomadic village or this nomadic town the same way every time. Like there's a set rule and case system of how you lay out the streets and stuff. But everything is set up for this thing to kind of come and pass through. I had um, a technology that could work with that or always help shape that concept. Um, especially if it's a nomadic civilization that's following the the beast. And I thought, well, maybe they have some sort of technology that, um, say, they carry it ahead of, of its path. And the idea is that they create like a stasis dome that's temporary. And what it does is it um, prevents vegetation or it prevents the environment in a certain radius from being changed. So that way it can pass over. Uh, the creature can pass over that area without it destroying their civilization. But of course, whatever technology it doesn't last very long um, or perhaps the technology can carry a certain biome with them temporarily well i thought we had we had discussed that as it goes through it's basically like a giant lawnmower roomba thing and it's actually clearing out jungle and dense overgrowth as it goes past that's correct yeah but i'm, I'm just wondering like what if there was a, a way for a society to keep their environment the same and that way that's how they're kind of continuing to follow it so Daniel, that actually, when you said technology, I was like, why is it a technology and why isn't it just a portal through the Feywilds, which... Oh, that's nice. Yeah, like, I, I, I can understand, like, it's it's basically a big teleportation circle that gets them from one place to the other or puts them through the Feywilds, which is all sorts of, like, timey-wimey bullshit that happens when you go through it. So there's a number... Yeah, like of maybe it's a thing they carry, like an artifact that um, pushes the vegetation away from them. Yeah. Or something that just like, it's a quick jaunt from one leaf to the next and they skip over a large swath of land of some kind. Or what, what about it just takes whatever buildings and such that are in the path and temporarily displaces them onto the Feywild. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then whenever the machine passes, the effect expires and it returns to the material plane. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, we could work with that. I also, uh, if we're saying that it goes to the Fey Wiles, could you have it that uh, the weird time dilation that usually happens with that, where people say that, just like, oh, I was in there for like 10 minutes and then it was actually 20 years? Yeah, that's what I was saying with the timey-wimey bullshit. Yeah. Timey-wimey, okay. okay. Wibbly-wobbly. Yeah, we could do that because we never really declared on how fast the thing moves. And if it's terraforming, I'm assuming it moves pretty damn slow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking so too. We're talking in miles per week. Yeah. You know, I was also thinking if we're just doing a scenario, right? And we just thought of this thing where we're wailing the giant divine beast. Why isn't that the scenario? Because doing that, like running an adventure that's essentially a siege on a living thing, sounds pretty fucking cool to me. It does. It really does. And so what I was wanting to do is give ourselves a scenario to where the players could pick a side to either defend the giant mech against the natives or to help the natives take down the giant mech. Yeah, I think that that's probably a good way that we can do it, right? Where you can have your intro scenario, which is your level one, and you choose your side. And then at that point, it's, are you defending this thing or are you raiding it? You know, like, because I love the idea of either way, frankly, you know. And because we established last week that there is a faction of the invading species that lives outside of the terraformed area and is trying to bridge that gap with the natives that would give you an out where if you wanted to change sides in the middle of it, you could. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. that That's a good building, you know, kind of a, a switch. I like that. Mm. There is uh this is actually reminding me, there is an old dungeon uh, adventure where you essentially are doing what we're talking about here, where there's this band of gnolls that have taken over this gargantuan creature and have outfitted it with like a, a fortress essentially. And it's the PC's job to run through the fortress and take down this gang of gnolls all on the back of this giant. I think it's like some kind of a, a, a lizard or a dinosaur of some kind. 
Tarrasque. No, it's, it's not a Tarrasque because the Tarrasque in and of itself is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, the, the Tarrasque just exists and then you don't. Yeah, yeah. Or or you uh, hop on its back and start like selling its flesh like the City of Salt and Wounds. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, uh, now, we were saying that this thing is huge, so kind of like Cloverfield size beast, right? I think I was going for Colossal. Uh, if we're going with D&D specific terminology here. <laughs> Fair enough. It's because e- even though that term no longer exists in 5th edition, it only goes up to Gargantuan. Yes, this is a colossal creature. Wow. I can't believe they cowered what it out on the size category. for D&D? Uh, I think but- colossal means that it is over 64 feet tall. Right. Wow. This is like the lion turtle from Avatar. It's, it's turtles all exactly. the way down. Exactly. Right. Like you hop on this thing and you think it's its own island until you, you realize it has a head. But we could have parasites and everything that kind of live on it or little machines that go about also doing a little bit of terraforming. This way, you're not essentially having to start off by attacking the huge beast. You could attack the little things. Theoretically, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely seeing something like the Clockwork Horrors. Mm-hmm. They're these tiny little mechs. They're like CR2, CR3. I'm totally seeing them as like service bots that live on the back of this thing to take care of native flora and fauna that latch on like barnacles. And their whole job is to keep the giant mech clear of all of this stuff. I like it. So like trees and stuff don't start growing on its back. Right. Because this is a very aggressively growing planet. Mm. And so these little clockwork mechs, you know, skitter across the back of this thing and up the legs and, you know, across the belly of it and wherever something could cling on. So if you end up on the side where you are helping the natives take it down, this is going to be this mech's first line of defense. So you get on and these little clockwork mechs just sort of start swarming over you. I love that we've created something that's like absolutely wild growth versus mechanized construct. It's like the Mm -hmm. ultimate technology versus nature battle we've got going here. You you know, I just realized something that we can have, we can have the entire adventure take place on this beast and you can essentially choose which faction you want to follow. And it's like a race to a point on the giant beast of some kind, whether it be to protect or attack it. Maybe there's something that's on the giant beast that is like it's it's a soft spot or it's a part where you can finally take this thing down if you really wanted to. And the idea is it's a race to the top and you have to avoid or take down its natural defenses as part of the adventure. That's a great idea. And really for doing this, if, if this thing is colossal, like we're saying, our city could literally be on the back of this creature and the dungeons could be within it. So like you're going through and a dungeon could be you're breaking down and then maybe you're going to try to take out a servo for some of these clockwork mechs to purge, you know, whatever natural wild growth. Or you're going to go through and try to otherwise help purge the natural growth. So either way, you could have your dungeons built in to either, like I said, help or stop. But like within cracks or like servos or, or service tunnels within this giant mech would actually be your dungeons. Yeah, I like that. And because we had talked a little bit last week about the overarching power on this planet, the reason why the growth is so vast and so overwhelming is because this is the home domain of a god of nature. Right. And we had talked about bringing an avatar of that god of nature into this. Exactly, yeah. If you end up on the side of defending the mech, this avatar of the god of nature is the big bad boss at the end. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you mentioned that because I did want to, like when we, when you told us scenario, I was like, okay, what do I want to bring to this? And I actually brought an NPC and a new monster that fit pretty well. I think. Okay. I, because for, I was, I was on the side of the kudzu so I came up with the Grove Tender, which is just a high druid of the kudzu. And she has with her the new monster, which is the Bloodthorn Basilisk, which is essentially picture a basilisk with its reptilian body and its four to eight legs, depending on depiction. And then imagine that that is just entirely made out of bramble thorns and vines. And because we got to talking about the Sunless Citadel and my love of twig blades, I wanted this thing to 
vomit up a, a small swarm of twig blades as like a breath weapon of some kind. I love it. I like it. So what are twig blades? Twig blades are like small undead trees that are like, they're little tree men, basically. They're they're little vampire tree yes. men. Oh. And they're one of my favorite monsters That's from nice. 3.0. I'm picturing little Groots that bite. Yes, they are Groots if Groot was evil. <laughs> yes. What's the uh, druid spells at Wild Growth or Brambles? Brambles? I think both of those are druid spells, yes, but... Uh, it's the lower level. I think it's a cantrip or a level one. I swear Brambles is like the the one that covers everything makes difficult terrain. Yeah. That's that's uh that's enta- entangling vines. Entanglement. Yeah, entanglement. What if that was the basilisk gaze weapon? Oh, okay. Uh, so it's like it looks at some place that has natural growth and then it entangles. Yeah. That it, it yeah, it, it's gaze animates vines. Oh, that's awesome. Oh man. Because we're talking okay. and then it, it goes because we're talking the the kudzu yeah, druid. That's really cool. Okay. And I can't remember because it's been a while since I've visited my relatives in New England. I don't remember how much kudzu you guys have up that way. Not a lot. No, not a lot. But it's all over the place down here. It really is. And if left unchecked, it will completely swallow up entire hillsides and then the houses on those hillsides. Mm -hmm. And yet you can, on a good day, you can actually sit out and watch it grow. Yeah, it's kind of amazing stuff. It's creepy, but it's amazing. It'll grow like eight to ten inches a day. It's insane. That's pretty wild, actually. Yeah, and and I think that having an accelerated version of that for the Bloodthorn Basilisk totally makes sense. And I could even go a step further and like maybe turn around one, it entangles, and then round two, those entangling thorns become twig blights of some kind. So you just have it, you know, I tend to think of things cinematically. And when I think of a basilisk who overgrows and then those things start to become actual creatures, that to me, I'm like, that's fucking cool. That's what I want to fight, you know? And twig blights are small enough and weak enough individually that we could totally do a swarm of twig blights. Absolutely. That's great. That's again, that's what I love about them. They're small. They're well, again, if I'm going by 3.0, it's tiny technically. So they're, they're even smaller than goblins. So goblins can feel big around them if they need to. Yeah. They're, they're like one and a half feet tall at the biggest. Are they like a CR? What? One quarter, one eighth. I think they're a CR one one half in fifth Uh, edition. Well, they're, they're one third in 3.0. I, I, again, in fifth edition, they're in CR one eighth. Oh, geez. One eight. Okay. okay, but we all know that CR yeah, doesn't actually mean anything. We've already established that. So. <laughs> CR is just a, how you calculate experience. Yes, right. Well, exactly. it also gives you an idea of the, of the challenge and stuff, too. But yeah, if they're CR <laughs> one eighth, then yeah, you could have these things swarm fairly easy. That said, yeah, last week, this past weekend, I was actually running a campaign and almost killed my party with a, a group of four kobolds because they just started swarming everything and <laughs> it didn't really well. This, now I'm assuming this is a, a level 20 party? <laughs> no, they were all level ones. So. <laughs> level, yeah, they were level ones. They didn't quite hit level two. But okay. yeah. Isn't there that campaign where it is level 20s against like just a bunch of traps like kobolds? And- Tucker's yeah, yeah, we, we, we have and talked about that. One. They are fun. Yeah. How many hours does that take to run if it's level 20 characters? Daniel, do you remember your flowchart from the Pathfinder days? <laughs> That's basically that, what happens. That, <laughs> but longer and with every character, oh, basically. Except for like the the spellcasters who are just like cast this spell, everything dies. Like that's the that's their flow chart. Lord. Whereas like with martial characters, it's like all right, I'm going to chain feats and abilities and stuff like that. So I like where we're going. So we've got we've got our city location. Like I said, we'll have to we'll go ahead and solidify that bit more. So the city and most of the encounters and dungeons are actually going to be on and within this kaiju mech. We have our two main factions. We've got our Kutsu Druid with a god of nature. We've got obviously this this giant kaiju mech and the people that have adapted to it. Because we we briefly set on this last week. The concept that this mech is coming from Mechanist, the plane of law. Mm-hmm. With the inevitables and I everything. Want, yeah. Yeah, I want the inevitables to be running this thing. Okay. So they be our, our big bad evil guy for the other faction then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The captain of this giant mech is a Marut. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was like, Captain Kolyarut, let's go. All right. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yes, Captain Kolyarut. Okay, yeah. Because uh, I don't think that the other inevitables have made it across yet and we've been 
playing with a little bit with uh, translating monsters from third to fifth edition. So yeah, that'll give me a chance to bring the Collier well, route across. Awesome. To well, they all edition. have very specific functions in law, right? Like the, some of the inevitables are like, Oh, you cheated death. That can't be. So they send the inevitable after you, but there are some that are like uh contract breakers, right? Can we, that's have- what the Marut is. I think. Oh, okay, cool. That's, okay. They're, they're the, they're the big ones. And that's for like, if you break a deal with a devil or something. So like I, that. I, you know, or if a devil breaks his deal with mm-hmm. you. I think that that's probably the way we should go. And then that can actually delve into the history of the planet a little bit more. And then we can have it be uh, related to some fae as well. Like we can have it be maybe the unseelie court and somehow a, a deal was brokered and broken. And as a result, the giant mechanized god beasts have come to pay that debt. Right. They're like, look, you broke the deal. These things are here. Deal with it. Like they are inevitable just as we are. No, they're the repo men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, so the God of nature reneged on this deal and the inevitables have come to collect. I love that. So that was in a previous episode, just a couple of weeks back. Oh, we recorded a couple of weeks back. Ian and I had talked about, and we were bouncing around some ideas about some fake campaigns. And that was one of them we came up with was that there was an archdruid of some sort that broke a deal with uh, one of the archfey of the summer court. And this would be exactly that. And so now, now because every, you know, obviously summer court dealing with growth. And now this thing is like, well, law. So gentlemen, what I'm hearing from us is we're trying to pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Maybe a little bit. I mean, we need it. Everyone has to pay a buck fifty. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I mean, I'm I'm only on the podcast so I can drop terrible jokes like that one. So it'll promote my. Podcast. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? So Daniel, you haven't gone and screwed anything up yet. How do you want to screw this up for us? Um. My response to the twist, I think, was something that Chris kind of already covered. My thoughts there were just that if this has happened before, um, perhaps the planet itself was a different planet prior to the terraforming, but that's kind of what Chris was talking about. The other Mm. thing I was wanting to introduce was a faction, um, or really, I guess, if we're talking about the context of like Dungeons and Dragons, I guess it would either be like a class or uh, something you can play. Um, And I was thinking about these ranger type of people who... Uh, are sent out into the wild to collect and and tame the flora that's out there. But the way they do that is by um, collecting flora that they then breed and change and adapt to work alongside them. So I was thinking kind of like um, a, like a non-magical summoner sort of deal. So the, the creatures that they have at their side to go out there and tame the wild are actually from the wild, but they've altered them. So it's a Pokemon trainer. Yes, exactly. They're genetic engineers. I like so it. So it's not Pokemon, but it's Digimon. So they're getting <laughs> partners of. and stuff. Okay. <laughs> Got it. So it all goes back to Digimon. So would these rangers be on the side of Marut or would they be on the side of our of our druid? Maybe they can be um, free agents um, since they're taking okay. advantage of both sides, like technology to make the changes, but also they use the wild. Okay. Yeah, I would I would definitely see them as as a faction divided amongst right. itself mm. where they have this skill set and some of them will affiliate themselves with the mech because that is their home, that is where they have chosen to defend, and then the others have seen what is going on and they sympathize with the natives and so they have quote unquote gone right. native. And so they are helping the natives on their side. Yeah, like I imagine probably the technology would come from the technology side of things. But because of their individual motivations, they've used it for different different reasons, like you're saying. Again, I I did make the joke about the Digimon thing. But realistically, I, I can see them like the monsters that you're kind of taming. They can either take on a more technological aspect or a more naturalistic aspect, depending on your own what's the word I'm looking for? Ethos, I suppose. Right. right. Where it's, it's not a matter of, okay, well I have this wolf, but because I'm on the side of this Marut, it's going to have like a more sleek look, a more metallic look to it. Whereas if I'm 
uh, on the part of the kudzu, it's going to look like, uh, you know, this leaf encrusted kind of wolf that has, uh, you know, like more, a more wood based look that that's where my head is going, Daniel. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I think that has something like that in mind. Yeah. Cause mm. I think like, since, since they might serve different masters and they have different goals, I'm sure they can use their technology to shape those creatures in the ways that make sense for them. Yeah. I really like that. So we basically have on the inevitable side, you have these wolf cyborgs. Basically they've got all of these bits of clockwork on them that are augmenting them. Whereas on the other side, you basically have what appear to be these beasts made of twisted vines. Yeah, exactly. And that actually, I think that also, if we want to drill down into that type of concept, it says a lot about the natural fauna of the land as well, that these things are as adaptable as they are. I think. Yeah. I'm liking these a lot. Yeah, Been through so many generations of this. Well, and we've also established that this is very chaotic, which is why the inevitables yeah. are here, because they're trying to impose order on the chaos. So having them being this malleable really plays into the chaotic feel that we're going for. Oh, my God. I'm going to do giddy wavy hands because something from third edition I absolutely loved that never translated to fifth edition yet. But you've got the druid of the kudzu or the druid of the vines that we're going through on one side. What if with the mech and the kaiju, we had blighters, which were basically evil druids, but they had to get their powers and their spells per days by absorbing the life force and energy of a certain square footage of area of plant life. So they actually, instead of being one with nature, they actually corrupted and killed nature. And if they were working with this kaiju trying to kind of go and clear stuff out, that would be perfect. Mm. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I would imagine that you'd probably reskin it so it doesn't look as evil as like the true blight. It would probably be exactly. like in my mind, the PR department would come in and be like, <laughs> we can't be called blighters. All right. Let's call us purifiers, if anything. You know. Oh, that's that's a good name. Yeah. Alternatively, I can imagine that some kind of a fire mage is also a purifier in this world, but reclaimers. Yeah, oh, reclaimers. Can we call them the glyphosate Wait. fairies? Yeah. Sorry, James. Can we call them the glyphosate fairies? <laughs> <laughs> that that joke definitely goes over my head. Glyphosate is what Roundup's made out of. Oh, okay. Oh my. Either god. that, or they can all wear orange, and they can be the agents of orange. Oh god. <laughs> my uncle got exposed to that in Nam. Actually, it's. Uh, oh yeah, that's some nasty. It's stuff. real bad. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it's yeah. not the best. Yeah. No. <laughs> Let's not do that, okay? <laughs> Fair enough. I think but, one of my favorite versions of what you're talking about here is actually the witch from Pathfinder has similar abilities where it's like no character would ever, or no player character would ever take this ability, but the ability to fallow ground or like make it uninhabitable is a witch ability that I was just like, yeah, that's that's a DM club for sure. Like that's a DM Oh, I would feature. totally take that as a player. Yeah, but it doesn't do anything. Like you it's just like, do it to every town you pass by. Yeah, but it okay. Whatever. We're not getting into the fucking nitty gritty of Pathfinder <laughs> mechanics here. All right. I'm just saying. You, you fail to comprehend just how much James will do with his character purely for spite. Okay. Uh, I do because I game with Chris. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything to spite you. Anyhow, my faction my, is my boring. battle cries both <laughs> in game and in real life is chaos woohoo. Uh, see, uh, I like, it's weird because I myself am just a lawful person. So it's weird. It's hard for me to embrace chaos. Plus I'm not a fucking gotcha. heretic. So, you know, well, yeah, yeah I, I fully embrace the, the heresies as well. <laughs> yeah. My, my main character is a dwarf cleric of tear. So he's lawful, lawful, mm, mm. Uh, lawful beard, I believe is the correct term. For yes. That, yeah. <laughs> he, he has a charisma of six. We call him short, angry God, man. Yep, he needs that soapbox to stand on. Otherwise, people can't see him. So. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that you know my hatred of dwarves at this point, right? Of course, okay. yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, See, I'm glad that Chris Chris's joke got ran over when he tried to bring in dwarves to this, and I'm just like, nah, burn it. <laughs> oh, I'm actually doing it. No, no, absolutely no, not. No, 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 because they live inside the terraformer. They're in the ground of it. See, those are gnomes. Gnomes are the ones who would take yeah, care of Yeah, they're tinker gnomes. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 they're no, no. They're not gnomes. Are they like under dark, no, no. Uh, under dark dwarves, Chris? Is that what you're picturing? 
Actually, I was picturing them, uh, since you were saying the reclaimers or anything, they see themselves as like the antibodies of the the mech. They, I like that because they they're going through trying to kick, like break out any kind of growth that like penetrates. Correct. Yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely love that. So root systems and stuff like that would be amazing. I actually and, love this idea of like a gnome mechanic who is taking care of those, the the gear things that uh, Ian was talking about previously. The clockwork horrors. Yes, yeah. exactly. So good. They're so cute. Yeah. The gnome mechanics is a really good idea, Chris. Thank you. You best. Question for that. you, Rob. In your um, primeval hatred for dwarves, what's the fundamental distinction between a dwarf and a gnome in your hatred levels? The beard. Well, okay. Frankly, I think that all non-human races are kind of garbage and they're just like 95% of them are just reskins of human cultures, which is not what you should be doing. But really, my hatred of dwarves comes first and foremost. Dwarves are fantasy by far races. the worst fantasy race in everything. I want to know, like, what, why do you Half hate? Ways. Like, again, I totally agree with you on both of those points. What's the difference in your hated heart between the gnome and the dwarf? You know what? The gnome is at least less offensive than the dwarf. That's what <laughs> I'll say. Okay, I can't agree but with that. How? By the way, I just want to say I really liked your class. That was the Obsidian Monk. That was great. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That was a lot of fun. All things about dwarves. <laughs> we like goblins, right? Uh, goblins are fun. Okay. I, I actually really love Paizo goblins or Magic the Gathering goblins because they're like just fun balls of chaos. Like those are like the types of things that I really enjoy. See chaos. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. I love goblins. They make funny little <laughs> popping sounds when they die. <laughs> See, that is actually, okay. You know, we're not, let, let's get back to the scenario. Cause I will otherwise <laughs> wax poetic about <laughs> RPG mechanics in general. So let's, uh, Oh no, or mechanics. <laughs> don't, don't throw me in the briar patch. Uh, I mean, literally so, that's so I, speaking of mechanics. These, these gnomes that work on these clockwork, uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's a great idea for artificers. And I would oh, actually yeah. break this down into there are some that like try to maintain. And I would say that there are some that kind of even want to break it down so they can learn how to make their own to a point. Mm. So maybe that even within the faction of those that are with the Kaiju or those that are with Marut, they kind of want to take this thing apart so they can learn how to make it on their own and maybe carry it with them so they're not just stuck on this thing as it goes a route, but they could take it and set up a more permanent foundation somewhere else. And that could actually be a whole faction within itself of like a faction of heretics, as it were. Because they're interplanar interns. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, they're also like a dark mechanicum in a way of like they're heretics or they could be seen as being more true to the principles that founded them of just like, no, we're here to understand, not venerate. Uh, yeah. Quick question about 5th edition, or the setting in 5th edition, rather. Do gnomes still have a uh, like a link to the Feywilds at all? Because in I know in Pathfinder they do. I don't think they do. Yeah. No. Okay. So, the graying, I think, was bleaching. the thing that you liked about it. Yeah, the, the bleaching, bleaching is sorry. really cool about the, the gnomes in Pathfinder. Exactly, yeah. Like, technically, if you go way, way deep into lore, the elves kind of do. And we talked about mm. that as we, we brushed mm. into our Feywild mm. uh, episodes. But the gnomes themselves do not, or at least not at this point in 5th edition. Understood. Okay. All right. So where are we going from here? Like, we've got the setup. We've got the cool location. Can we end it? Or, like, can we at least think of a really cool action set piece? Because that's one thing that I think that all like big modern adventure modules try and have is like this idea that it's not like a cinematic, but it's like the really cool battle or scenario that you're put in. That's basically the anchor for the scenario in and of itself. I want this to be the ultimate fight, the the, the big bad boss fight between the Marut and this druid of the kudzu takes place in the reactor room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so are we doing this at level 20? Well, I mean, well, I see, don't know. I, I mean, how, how far you want to do it depends on your level range because, I mean, how, how, how heavy hits we're going to be throwing. Because what you can end up doing is rather than actually fighting this druid or fighting this CR25 construct, rather than fighting those big guys, they're fighting each other mm -hmm. and you are basically running support. Okay. And so you, your job is to take out the other guy's buddies before 
the other guy's buddies take out you. Okay. That's exactly what I had in mind. And overwhelm your big dude. Okay, perfect. So if we're going to do this in the reactor room, we absolutely have to have layer effects. Absolutely. That's why I put it in the reactor room, because we are going to end up having the reactor vent. Okay. So it's going to be these, uh, I don't know, are we going to, I don't know, because I don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but I really want, Chris, you seem to have an idea. No, no, it was just about the the layer effects. You could also have it that... Even though you're being successful in the reactor room, it's causing damage to the outside and the Mm. fight's being won. And then suddenly, like, say, a giant wooden spear pierces close to the reactor and it's just like, well, now we got to deal with all of these brambles coming out of this spike or the reverse. That would work. I mean, if we're going to be dealing with a god of nature, that by itself, I mean, I'm sure this deity of nature is going to have some sort of layer effect just around him anyway. So that could work. If we're in a reactor room, then obviously we could vent either like some sort of plasma fire or gas. Maybe in those two kind of things balance each other out one way or the other, unless something tips it. Well, see, the thing I was thinking of as well for like an alternative to all of this is you can have those two like massively powerful things fighting in the background and they're casting AOE effects and they're basically casting reality warping magic. And just being in the blast zone for that can be a danger for the PCs as they're dealing with whatever type of nonsense is happening around them. Absolutely. Yeah. So how are we going to have our PCs affect the battle? Are we going to have like a bunch of minion types running around? So you have to just kind of stomp them all down. Is there a goal that they're trying to go? Are they actually trying to do so much damage to one of these avatars for lack of a better term? I mean, I do have a question that I guess that would come before that, that throws a little bit of a wrench into things. Because so far we've been talking about this setup or this particular battle from the perspective of the forces at play. But like, how are the PCs invested in what's happening in this world? Like, why do they care that these two great entities are opposed to each other? And what narratively is drawing them? Like, how are they going to impact the situation on a personal level for them? I think it's pretty obvious. It's it's either this great beast dies or the br- great beast lives. This whole thing that we built the the setting upon, that's like a divine beast. It lives or dies with this conflict. That's the way that I'm approaching this scenario anyway. So from the perspective of, for their perspective, they're losing their home. Is that the idea? Like that's what they're losing. That's what's at stake for them. Someone's trying to kill your God, Daniel. Someone is trying to kill the God that you venerated to the to your entire life to. You might take offense to that. You might take offense. Yeah, you're right, Chris. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just uh, the other thing. I was going to say the way that you could see the fight playing out, depending on which side you are, you could either be trying to uh, have. Uh, I, I know, uh, Rob, you've played Monster Hunter World. I've played uh, many you... Monster Hunter games, Chris. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know how many of them had the. Zora Magdaros like fight where you build a trap, try and trap it inside there, have these giant weapons, and then the little creatures that live on its back are like destroying all the cannons, de- taking down the stuff. Mm-hmm. That's th- there's a similar style of fight throughout the entire series. It's been around since at least the, when I was starting. Well, that yeah, that have that happen. So Daniel, you were about to say some really apocryphal shit, and I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to push back a little bit on one's God dying as being like a big concern. I guess, I guess that's phrased strangely, right? But only because I think a, a God or a religion is very abstract, right? And characters are driven by something very good down to earth and personal to them. So like, I'm sure that the God part is embedded in their home in some sense. That would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like if they're losing their home, well, it might be also losing their religion as a result. Yeah. That could be, but like we talked about in your guys' episode, the fact this kaiju, and I think we've kind of, with our episode where we're building mechanics, haven't touched so much on it. This kaiju, as it moves, makes this otherwise inhospitable region of this planet hospitable. So you can have life, you can have farms, you can have family versus living in the wilds where it would be very inhospitable, it'd be very cutthroat. So it is having... Either on one side, having your home and your family and your ancestral land that maybe your family lives in one of these central areas and has has established themselves versus if you were one of the outlanders, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that's what I'm looking they for. They see yeah. this thing as a blight on the natural land and a defilement of their world. 
So the other point that I want to make is in D&D, religion is not abstract. The gods very much exist. You can, if you have powerful enough magic, you can go visit your god. That is true. And you can talk to them with a spell. Yes, you can talk to them with a spell. Gods and religion are not abstract in D&D the way they are in our real world. Unless it's they, Eberron. But, unless uh, it's Eberron. Which <laughs> Eberron is an entirely different kettle of fish. But this is the pushback that I'm going to give to your statement is that in a D&D scenario, the gods are very much a real thing and religion is a very real tactile thing for these people. And so, yes, they are definitely going to take offense if someone is going to show up and try and kill their god. Well, I like what you right. said about the fact that this this creature exists allows them to keep their way of life, right? Like that, I think, is important because yeah. that cuts to something that the characters care about. With the gods, like even if they have a physical embodiment, right, and they can affect the world, your belief and your faith in them is still an abstraction. Like the fact that God may actually exist, my the fact that I care about that it has to be, you have to engender that, right? I mean, as, in me as a character. So I think mm. it, it really comes down to, okay, we've got this this beast that's going through the world and without it, you know, like we don't have a home, we don't have a way of surviving. That's where the real faith is, even if the God itself mm. can appear in the world. There's also a cultural aspect to it as well. Yeah. From a player at the table, yeah, I can see that. A great example of the effect of religion and deities within D&D is you can take, there is absolute enmity in D&D through most of the additions between the kobolds and the gnomes because the gnomes god trapped the kobolds god in basically a forever labyrinth. And now no matter what, because of this slight upon their deity, they hate each other. Doesn't matter for what reason, they just absolutely hate each other. It runs that deep within the D&D realm. But where you're bringing up if you have a player at the table and maybe religion isn't such a strong point for them to grab onto, then having a hook like home, family, culture, things like that is a great thing for a DM to do. And again, that would be part of a DM knowing the players at his table and kind of taking a story and adapting it for his players. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So let's get back on track. Let's get back to the core room where I, right. I, I agree. I don't want to have a really cool epic battle that's going on in the background. And my job is to take care of the fucking ads. Right. That's, that's not what I mean. That's, that's what I'm trying <laughs> that, to get yeah. at, right? Like I want to no, be no, no, there and care, you know? Yeah, ex exactly. But I think that we have to do something that makes a significant impact on the outcome of this battle. And that's what I want to talk about. Like, what is it? I could see if you're on the side of the archdruid, maybe you're trying to breach the core obviously. And so that would be your goal is to get there and do something, maybe be it a spell, be it physical damage or whatever, somehow breach this core. On the side of Marut, James, maybe there's a... Uh, uh, James, I'm sorry. I need to... I need to uh, this is something that I do on, my, on, on our podcast quite often, which okay. is I need to inflict upon people terrible 90s movies. And awesome. uh, I am thinking of the ending scene from the movie Congo, where they have a giant fuck off laser that just like slices through gorillas. And in this yes, case, with the diamonds, yes, with the, exactly in the lost city of Zinj, you know exactly where I'm at. All right. So with this, why not just like have a giant fuck off laser that's basically trying to pierce the core in some way and then you can give that to players and they can aim it wherever the fuck they want and i think that having like a, a essentially a giant ballista or a, an arcane cannon that you can just aim and cause chaos i think having something like that would be really really fun to do so you could take something like that and either aim it towards the core or aim it towards the deity of of nature oh, you can aim it at whatever the, you want the nature goddess isn't showing up Okay. Right, it's the the, the archdruid is not the nature goddess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then you could do this. Then you can aim, aim it towards the archdruid. Then. Exactly. Because uh, I don't see an archdruid sitting there rocking a laser weapon. <laughs> Just to know no. It. I don't see it happening. No, but but yeah, I could see that where it could go either way. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I just need to inflict bad '90s movies, especially ones where Tim Curry has an impenetrable accent. It needs to be done. <laughs> I was about to say, if this were to happen, I would want to play Tim Curry's character. I think everyone would want to play Tim Curry's character, Chris. <laughs> okay, so what I'm seeing now almost is like you have this laser set up in the reactor. 
And this reactor is part of the reactor process is obviously this laser that goes through and it's focused by mirrors and lenses. I don't know how, how well-versed in physics you all are, but at this point you can kind of grab those and redirect it, which would, you know, any kind of redirection would obviously pull power from the Kaiju anyway. And then you could either redirect it further into, well, hell, you can redirect it into Temptus or into the Archdrude either way. Mm -hmm. And maybe you get to roll just a whole brick of D6s as a, once you yes. finally get there and then here and, maybe like 20 D six towards whatever, or, or something stupid like that. Absolutely. And not only that, but if you, by having them spread out over the course of the battlefield, you make them points that you want to, you know, you're spreading your team out so you can get into place. And there's smaller battles with the ads that are happening all around you. And it, that is a way more dynamic and interesting thing because now the other monsters are going to be like trying to push the mirror away and they're going to try and make sure that you're not annihilating their, uh, well, whatever you want, really. But it makes the battlefield so much more dynamic and interesting when you have this feature in there as well. So I have an idea. Dear God. 40K? Um, so I think, it was, I, think it was, I think it was Chris mentioned a little bit earlier how, you know, being in the middle of a fight and having this giant wooden spear pierce through everything. Yes. So here, here's the idea. You're fighting in the reactor room. And at the beginning of like round three or round four, the roof of this kaiju gets ripped open by this giant fuck all spear. And now you get to see the giant laser up on top of the kaiju mech. And so now it is a race to see who can get to the laser first. Oh, I love it. And so if the mech side gets to the laser first, then, you know, they get to shoot it at the archdruid or whoever they want to. If the nature side gets to it first, they get to turn it and fire it at the core. Could the yes, could I like the it. laser instead of causing destruction, could it cause transformation in the way that the user wants? Like, so if the wilds people use it, could it like transform the wilds into even worse, into a worse possible situation? Or maybe they aim it into the core of the monster and transform the monster into the wilds vice versa when you're aiming at the core it becomes a literal like living beating heart yeah like something like that because i think an explosion is expected from a laser that's really cool i like that idea a lot it's like a trans that is a really good idea and that actually i mean again jumping a touch ahead but if you as your you know the, the clan of your katsu are able to destroy this core or whatever maybe the destruction of the core does something and it blasts everything out so instead of keeping it vibrant it turns it to a desert and then again that would be the whole rotating biomes thing that we talked about towards the beginning of yeah, the episode absolutely and not only that but when you first flip on the laser you don't know what's going to happen or the pcs i would imagine don't necessarily know what's going to happen I, yeah i like that i also kind of like it if you were to run this where no one knows how the end is also going to have if somehow doing this destroyed both of them yeah and yeah. then like it's just like now the planet's destiny is its own. I've been listening to a bunch of Dune stuff, so <laughs> I love that's Dune. all that's coming from. I mean, it's it's almost like it's it turns it into if you fire it into the core, it turns it into a reorigination bomb. Oh, so that you know the the mech blows up the entire fucking kaiju mech blows up. But instead of a wave of destruction, it is a wave of wild growth. Genesis wave. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because, it's, because it's a giant life. terraforming machine. And then it yeah, starts right. the process all over again. And we got to the twin. We got to it. Yeah. <laughs> Mission complete. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I like this. So I kind of want to see if we can flesh out this in scenario. I Like I said, a little bit a little bit more detailed, perhaps. I love some of the classes we came up with. I, I freaking love that Basilisk. That Basilisk is amazing. That Ranger is freaking cool also. Well, the only issue is, James, we've been going at this for an hour. <laughs> okay, yeah, there is that. <laughs> so, I don't know. I could tinker with this for, for days. Time probably, flies yeah. when you're having fun and making it. You could tinker with this for days because you're not the one that has to edit this. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we actually have a really cool scenario, a really cool premise for us to play in. And it's got really nice 
uh, synergy to go either way so that it is an interesting playthrough regardless of which side you choose and you could actually run it twice with the same group of people playing one side the first time and one side the second time and get a completely different experience at the end. Holy crap, we made a scenario with replay value. I mean, alternatively, you can also run <laughs> two simultaneous groups, you know, and then have oh, them yeah. at the end. Oh, and then put them at a table at the Absolutely. end. Absolutely. That would be so cool. Yeah. Was it Order of the Stick and then what was the other other group? Oh, the, that was the bootleg group. I forgot about them. I didn't, but I also, oh, oh, I, I can't remember the name of them either. Yeah, I can't remember the, the name of the other group, but damn, they're right there with Grog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Grog. Grog's great. Yeah. Everybody loves Grog. Yeah. Um, Grog's the real MVP. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us on, really. it's. I'm glad that we got to wrap this up, and I'm glad that we got to do a little bit of adventure creation, because that's not something that we normally get around to. So, uh, Rob, you want to go ahead and blurb yourself, tell people where, where we can find you and uh, a little bit about that? Well, first of all, I never blurb myself in public, but um, <laughs> well, you, know. <laughs> uh, you can find World Build With Us, the podcast, pretty much wherever podcasts are available. You can also follow us on Twitter at Let's World Build. And if you want to send in a world building prompt of your own, you can email us at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. We've also got a Discord and a Patreon. And I'm sure that Ian and James will be very kind gentlemen and allow us to link all that in the description of their podcast as well. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, come and join uh, us. We're fun and stupid and goofy, and I will inflict pain with bad 90s movies. I've referenced the one more than once, and you can come listen to us build settings like you have just now uh, weekly. And it really is a whole lot of fun. I, I have to have to fanboy here for for a couple of minutes here at the end because I found you guy your podcast whenever you had Dale Kingsmill on for an interview um it was, was just a delight com- yeah she was it, great. yeah it was, it was just a complete happenstance sort of thing where i was i had the, my youtube app open and she had just posted on her youtube page that she had done this interview and i'm like okay yeah let's let's click through and and i started listening to it and you mentioned your uh land of a thousand gods because it was still fairly early on i think you had just transitioned off of the land of a thousand gods whole arc. Oh, wow. Yeah. That that was the original, that was the original concept for the podcast is to like really go in depth with our world building. And then we got like 20 episodes in. We were like, Oh God, what happens if people don't like the concept? And then we lose. (laughs) We've gone to a much shorter format. Also good on you for getting past the first two episodes of the podcast. Like I, I generally tell people to just skip around now, but that's awesome. Yeah. No, because I actually started off at that and I absolutely fell in love with the concept and and I I listened to it. I was listening to like three, four, five episodes a day until I caught up. Oh, wow. That's incredibly kind of you to say That's I'm very and glad. It was the statistic we saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. I don't understand. <laughs> it. Like I, I, I hear we hear from people and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I so I just caught up with the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, you listen to everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I caught up. I caught up around episode sixty-five-ish, I think. But nice. but yeah, yeah. And uh, and so your podcast was actually my inspiration to actually sit down and say, "Hey, I want to do this." So so you guys actually did involuntarily create this podcast. So thank you again. Oh my gosh. That's incredibly kind. That's so Thank cool. you so much. Yeah. I'm 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 glad that we can help you out and I'm glad that we got to come on. This is a really awesome I know. time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, that, that's why I, I said whenever I sent that email off to you at the initial was that, you know, I had to fanboy for a minute because <laughs> because you, you reach out like, hey, let's collab on something. Like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea. Yeah. So so it's been great. It's been yeah. great. Well, I'm sure this won't be the last time we collab on something either. I'm sure of that. Yeah, I, I hope not. I hope we can we can get back together and and work on some more stuff in the future. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Working on quests actually feels like getting back to the roots. Yeah, it, it does. It feels it feels it feels right, Chris. It just feels right. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, we, I'll be, I'll be happy to come back anytime for sure. All right. Yeah. So thank you again, Rob, Chris and Daniel for, for coming on and thank you. Yes, thank you all. And thank you everyone for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, if you have ideas that you want us to run with, or if you have feedback for what you've heard, please send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing my Shakespeare and Insult page a day calendar inspired RP prompts six days a week. They're going up on the Twitter account and then I'm cross posting them onto our Facebook and Instagram accounts, which are under common taste. We are available on nearly every podcast streaming service. So find us wherever you prefer And if you would, please leave us a like, a comment, tell us how you like our podcast, because it really helps with our visibility to get more people listening. So we'll get to catch you all next week. And until then, happy gaming. See you next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.